And we're live. Um, excuse my tardiness. If you can, if you see my video right now, maybe you'll understand why I'm tardy. We got this new video hookup, which we still didn't figure out how to do. <laughs> As you can see, oh, and we got disconnected. Well, is my audio still here? Well, so first of all, I mean, obviously the video quality is so much better with this new camera, but we still didn't get the settings right because I have this little square around my eye. Um, it might still be worth keeping it on. Honestly, it's pretty cool, just just the quality. And maybe this is actually a good opportunity to shout out our, our Patreons because thanks to the support of the Patreons, it helps us get better equipment and, and do more content. So uh, with that, shout out to all our patrons, but specifically Renee Gordon, Adam Boss Becker, Neve Goldstein, and David Edward, Edwards. There are visionary members. If you want to support the show, you could find how to do that in the description. Anyways, today we're going to have a relatively lighthearted episode reviewing the Hamas charter. I know it's funny that I, that I described that as lighthearted. Anyways, we're going to go back to regular camera because we still haven't figured it out. Hold on. Give me a moment, guys. <laughs> Settings. Well, what you just saw is what we can potentially achieve. Uh, we just got to figure out the settings, but that was a little snippet of, of the new camera quality. Um, cool. So reviewing the Hamas charter, uh, let, let's just start with the comment, which might give insight as to like what the point of this is. So Lucky King goes, why would you want to review their charter if you believe that they raped women and beheaded some of the Israelis? then you know their charter is not legitimate. You want to review a fake document. So, and, and I'm trying to be very sensitive with how I frame this. A lot of the worst claims made against Hamas, I actually have not seen compelling evidence to fully believe. So, and again, this is me not saying which crimes they did or did not commit. I am remaining agnostic on the claims that I have not seen compelling evidence for. Uh, there's around 6,000 videos of Hamas and the crimes they committed that day. And there's one crime that is very clear. It's that they massacred Israeli civilians on October 7th. So that is the claim I'm going to confidently say they committed. All the other uh, brutal ones that you hear of, I remain agnostic until I see more compelling evidence. I know this is offensive. Many people want me to just hop on board and say they did all these horrible things. Um but I will, I'm, I'm going to remain with my integrity and not make conclusions based on, w without proper evidence. But I will say again, they committed a brutal massacre on October 7th. That is clearly true. We have sufficient video evidence of that. Uh, so why am I reviewing this? Well, a lot of people are confused about what their charter says. And many people actually use their charter as a, as to their defense. They're saying, oh, look, they're progressive. Look at their charter, right? So we're going to review it. And it's true. It, like they could have a charter. Does that mean they actually believe it? Does that actually mean they stand by it? Unclear. Uh, but I think it's interesting. I looked through it. There's some interesting things there. Um, and some may say, why is it even rele relevant? Hamas is about to be defeated and there will be no more. I'm not convinced of that either. I think that we still have a fair the Israeli military has a fair bit of work to, to do before um, before they're defeated, and it's unclear that it will actually achieve that goal. Um, they updated their charter in 2017. Their old charter said uh, something along the lines of 
kill the Jews or rid the land of Jews. They updated it. It's a bit more progressive now. I think they had an attempt to modernize and become more legitimized in the international community. And uh, I mean, obviously they, they fucked that up on October 7th, but I think that was their, that was their attempt anyways. Uh, and we, we may, we may move it on. We, we may uh, bring on guests, do a call and show. We'll take audience questions. We're going to have fun with it. Hold on one second. Julian, you're on screen. You cool with that? Yeah. Okay. That's my boy, Julian, my best friend in the whole entire world. Shout out to Julian. Uh, at King saying that I should use my gut. What does my gut say? I try to not make conclusions based on my gut if I don't have to. Uh, gut is great if you are in a situation where you have no other means, but, um, I don't need to reach, I don't need to make guesses about the atrocities Hamas committed because it doesn't really change how I feel about them. I view them as a brutal terror organization that is determined to destroy Israel and that has caused the Palestinian people immense suffering. The extent to the crimes they committed on October 7th doesn't really change much in my mind. Um, So I don't see any reason to use my gut. I think that for me, it's very important uh, when I do these live streams to really remain in integrity and try to be very accurate and careful with how I frame things, uh, because my goal ultimately is to bring together Israelis and Palestinians um, and remaining credible on a very complicated and contentious issue is what's most important to me. Uh, so that's why I'm very careful with the conclusions that I reach. Um, Oh, we see Julian in the comments. Hey, Julian, what's up? Okay, let's let's pull up this charter. Um, where do we have it right now? Um, window. Why am I not finding that window? Oh, there we go. Okay, cool. Also, let me know where you're where you're tuning in from. So we got a nice nice crew here today. No, nope, not that setting. Not that setting. There we go. Okay. Cool. Uh. Preamble. Got to start with the preamble, right? Palestine is the land of the Arab Palestinian people. From it, they originate. To it, they adhere and belong. And about it, they reach out and communicate. So this is actually interesting. Just in the first sentence, it's kind of language that, notice they say Arab Palestinian people. So it's often said that, you know, a one-state solution um, with equality from the river to the sea could work and that Palestinians would agree to that. But he, even here in the first sentence, Hamas is saying for not just Palestinian people, right? If Palestinian is a nationality, technically any religion, Jews can be Palestinian. But here they're saying it's the land of the Arab Palestinian people. So they're actually tying it not just to a nationality, but an ethnicity. So that's actually interesting and uh, kind of counters the point that uh, this one state from the river, a secular democratic uh, state from the river of the sea could somehow work. Uh, certainly Hamas's first sentence doesn't seem to imply that. 
Palestine is land whose status has been elevated by Islam, a faith that holds it in high esteem, that breathes through it in its spirit and values that lays the foundation for the doctrine of defending and protecting. So we also see we they want it to have some Islamic nature. Um, and again, people could say, okay, the only reason Hamas is in existence is because there's a current conflict, but Hamas is currently the most uh, popular political Palestinian party. And I don't think there's there's good reason to believe that given peace that they would just disappear and no longer be relevant. So we see that Hamas wants the land to not only be uh, a nation for Arabs, but also primarily Islamic, right? Um, Palestine is the cause of the people who have been let down by a world that falls to secure their rights and restore to them what has been usurped from them. A people whose land continues to suffer one of the worst types of occupation in this world. Okay. Palestine is land that was seized by a racist, anti-human, and colonial Zionist project that was founded on a false promise, the Balfour Declaration, on recognition of usurping of a usurping entity and imposing a fault, a comply by force. So here you actually see how they're using very Western terms. So you can see how it's like they're really trying to connect with the West and appeal to Western activists by saying a racist anti anti-human, I guess, isn't a term that's used much by Western activists, but racist and, and colonial, right? These are, these are good, good terms to really appeal to the Western, uh, the Western social justice activist. I won't call it the Western liberal because I don't believe that many of these social justice activists are liberal. They could, they could be called leftist, but I think a lot of their ideologies is a bit regressive. So not a liberal nor progressive in my opinion. Palestine symbols the resistance that shall continue until liberation is accomplished, until the return is fulfilled, and until a full sovereign state is established with, with Jerusalem as its capital. So here they're not saying too much about the borders. Um, they're saying they will continue to resist until the return is fulfilled. So I think they're, they could be saying the right of return, or they're saying just the return to sovereignty. The return of sovereignty is interesting because it was never really a sovereign state. Maybe they're either they're just trying to confuse people, they're misinformed, or they're talking about the right of return. And then they say until a fully sovereign state is established with Jerusalem as its capital. So again, they don't talk about borders, but we do know that Jerusalem is its capital. Does that mean all of Jerusalem or is it just East Jerusalem? They don't specify, not yet at least. Palestine is at the true partnership among Palestinians of all affiliations for the sublime objective of liberation. Um, okay, not, not much to comment on that. Palestine is the spirit of the Ummah and its central cause is the soul of humanity and its living conscience. Now they're just being poetic. I mean, that statement is doesn't seem to have much relevance. Uh, this document is the product of, a, of deep deliberations that led us to a strong consensus. As a movement, we agree both the theory and the practice of the vision that is outlined in the pages that follow. It is a vision that stands on solid grounds and on well-established principles. This document unveils the goals, the milestones, and the way in which national unity can be enforced. It also establishes our common understanding of the Palestinian cause, the working principles, which we, will, which we use to further it, and the limits of flexibility used to interpret it. There's actually one point here that I, I, I wanna point out, milestones, because they, they, you'll see that they have certain goals and 
they don't make it clear if this is their end goal or if this is just a milestone from which they will continue resistance, right? So I think milestones here is important to to understand that not everything they say is an end goal. Some might just be a milestone. Um, the movement. Sorry, if, if I pause for a minute, I'm just going back to chat just to see that there's anything relevant, but it seems like everyone's, for the most part, behaving themselves and remaining civil. The movement. The Islamic resistance movement, Hamas, is a Palestinian Islamic national liberation and resistance movement. Its goal is to liberate, liberate Palestine and confront the Zionist project. Its frame of reference is Islam, which determines its principles, objectives, and means. Right? So they're not trying to hide that they're an Islamist organization. Which, again, can be reason for concern. Um, you know, if you, if again, if you see people calling for one state and showing that it'll be secular and democratic, well, a brutal Islamic party is currently most popular. And And here's the thing, you know. Public opinion and sentiment changes given change in environmental conditions, but there's no reason to think that there would be this like broad acceptance of a secular democratic state uh, amongst Palestinian society. Uh, and in fact, recent polling shows only 7% of Palestinians support a secular democratic state, uh, which is interesting that this is what many Western activists are calling for. So just to show how out of touch with reality they are, they're really calling for a solution that only 7% and I believe less than 15% of of Israelis are calling for. So they're really trying to propose, talk about colonialism. It's proposing this, this one state, secular democratic one state solution on the land. That's a form of Western colonialism because the people on the land don't want such a solution. Anyways, continue. The land of Palestine, Palestine, which extends from the river Jordan in the East to the Mediterranean in the West from the Ras al Nakura in the North to Amal Rashra in the South, is an integral territorial unit. It's land and the home of the Palestinian people. The expulsion and banishment of Palestinian people from their land and the establishment of the Zionist entity therein do not annul the right of the Palestinian people to their entire land and do not entrench any rights therein for the usurping Zionist entity. So here again, they're talking about the entire land being Palestine. Um, which is interesting because a lot of people point to the charter and say in the charter they agree to a two-state solution. And we, we, we will get to that point, but they're making it very clear what they view to be Palestine, and that's the entire land. Palestine is an Arab Islamic land. It is blessed sacred land that has a special place in the heart of every Arab and every Muslim. No disagreement there. I believe that to be true. The Palestinian people. The Palestinians are the Arabs who lived in Palestine until 1947, irrespective of whether they were expelled from it or stayed in it. And every person that was born to an Arab Palestinian father after that date, whether inside or outside Palestine, is a Palestinian. Interesting, but not if you're born an Arab Palestinian mother. I find that fascinating. I guess this is based on Islamic law that says you're a Muslim if your father is Muslim. So this seems to be an extension of it. But honestly, strategically, they'd be better off saying father or mother because then you, you could just account for more Palestinian refugees that deserve to return. So it's interesting that they chose that. And for those who don't know, Judaism is the opposite. If your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish, not if your father is. So a little distinction between Islam and Judaism. Next, the Palestinian identity is authentic and timeless. I, I love how they tried to make it like poetic. 
It is passed from generation to generation. The catastrophes that have befallen the Palestinian people as a consequence of the Zionist occupation and its policy of displacement cannot erase the identity of the Palestinian people, nor can they negate it. A Palestinian shall not lose his or her national identity or rights by acquiring a second nationality. So this is really all about the fact that even if, you, even if you're a refugee, the, the son or daughter of a refugee, or the, even the grandson or granddaughter of a refugee, even if you have another uh, nationality, you are still Palestinian. And, you know, Jews, have, Jews actually do something similar, right? Jews have the right of return, even after thousands of years. Palestinians are trying to create a similar model where it doesn't matter how many generations have passed, you are still Palestinian. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that part, uh, considering, I mean, Jewish, you know, the whole Aliyah is based on that concept that Jews can return no matter how many generations have passed. Next, the Palestinian people are one people made up of all Palestinians inside, outside of Palestine, irrespective of their religion, culture, or political affiliation. Right. So here they're saying here, here they're trying to be a little bit more progressive and pluralistic. They're saying it doesn't really matter what your religion is. Yeah, it's true. We want Palestine to be an Islamic state. But if you're not uh, Muslim, you could still live there. Do you have the same status? I'm not sure they get quite into that, but um, they're trying to be a little bit more progressive with this statement. Um, but they also say you need to be Arab Palestinian. So I'm interested to see exactly how they define what they define as Arab, right? So they say religion, culture, political affiliation, but they're not saying any ethnic group can become Palestinian. So it seems to be, again, some intention for an ethnostate um, that you call it pluralistic when it comes to religion, culture, political affiliation. Again, this is what they claim in practice. Is this how it would be? Uh, Islam in Palestine. Palestine is at the heart of the Arab and Islamic Ummah and enjoys a special status. Within Palestine, there exists Jerusalem, whose precincts are blessed by Allah. Palestine is the Holy Land, which Allah has blessed for humanity. It is the Muslims' first Qibla and the destination of the journey performed at night by Prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him. It is the location from where he ascended to the upper heavens. It is the birthplace of Jesus Christ. Peace be upon him. It is soil contains the remains of thousands of prophets, companions, and mujidin. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. It is land of the people who are determined to defend the truth within Jerusalem and its surroundings, who are not deterred or intimidated by those who oppose them and by those who betray them. They'll continue their mission until promise of Allah is fulfilled. So this is actually interesting, right? They talk about uh, Muhammad, Jesus Christ. They don't talk about any of the, and they say thousands of prophets, companions, right? They don't mention any of the the Jewish uh, Jewish prophets or leaders that that lived in the land. It's convenient to leave that out because there has been this attempt to erase Jewish uh, history on the land. So, um, not hard to understand why they're going to conveniently not mention uh, Jewish history here. Next, by virtue of its justly balanced middle way and moderate spirit, Islam. I don't know. I struggle with that statement. Balanced middle way and moderate spirit Islam for Hamas. I mean, there's definitely moderate versions of Islam, but many of its manifestations are, are by no means moderate. Um, I mean, even, even like, uh, and again, I don't like bashing religions because at the end of the day, I think culture supersedes religion. I think you have the Muslim community is very diverse. And even if you look at like polling on Sharia law, support for Sharia law within, um, 
within like the Middle East or within Muslim countries, you have, let's say, actually, Palestine has one of the highest rates of belief in Sharia. It's over 80% in a Pew poll that was done in 2020, uh, 2014. Um, if you look at Kazakhstan in that same poll, it's 24%, right? These are both Muslims, but with very different beliefs because culture uh, supersedes religion in many regards. Um, that's why I don't know if we should... I think it is important to see how religion does have the ability to impact people, but we shouldn't see it as entirely deterministic of what somebody's going to believe. Um, but I, you know, I, that being said, I do think saying uh, Islam being middle way with a moderate spirit, so many of its manifestations, even if you look at like polling in Europe, like British Muslims have, I think in over 50% rate thinking that like, uh, apostates should be like uh, punished, right? So if you speak bad against Islam, you should be punished. Some say stoned. Like that's a very high percent for, for uh, a Western country like like uh, England, right? So whatever, going on a tangent, let's continue. Um, by virtue of its justly balanced middle way and moderate spirit, Islam for Hamas provides a comprehensive way of life and an order that is fit for purpose at all times. And in all places, Islam is a religion of peace and tolerance. It provides an umbrella for the followers of other creeds and religions who can practice their beliefs in security and safety. Hamas also believes that Palestine has always been and always be a model of coexistence, tolerance, and civilization innovation. You see, so they're really trying to go uh, truly progressive with, with this one. Um, so if you look at like Ottoman Palestine, it actually was one of the more pluralistic places in the Middle East. Uh, it was, call it, more progressive than others, and in many regards, more progressive than um, Europe. But it's not like you really had equality. Like, Jews living on the land were second-class citizens. They, they Living on in Ottoman Palestine, Jews did not have the same rights as, as Muslims. Um, but that's going back 100 years. Let's talk about now. Is Gaza a model of coexistence, tolerance, and civilization innovation, right? I, I think if we really want to see how Hamas will govern, you should see how they're governing now, not how Palestine was governed under the Ottomans 100 years ago. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not really buying that last statement, if I'm going to be honest with you all. Continuing, Hamas believes that the message of Islam upholds the values of truth, justice, freedom, and dignity and prohibits all forms of injustice and incriminates oppressors irrespective of the religion, race, gender, or nationality. Islam is against all forms of religious, ethnic, or sectarian extremism and bigotry. It is the religion that inoculates in Inculates its followers the values of standing up to aggression and supporting the oppression. It motivates them to give generously and make sacrifices in defense of their dignity, their land, their people, and their holy places. Yeah, again, like this is just trying to really be progressive. Like I, I, I do agree that many many people through Islam uh, become more peaceful. So they say it's the religion of peace, but as I mentioned, culture supersedes religion in many regards. Um, People have different interpretations of religion. So there are many versions of Islam that you see. It's actually about uh, people reach these beautiful conclusions on life and, and 
how we could live in like a, a beautiful society. But again, if we look at Hamas and how they're, they're governing now, it's not this beautiful version of Islam. It's, um, it's an extreme brutal version of Islam. Um, and again, I don't quite compare them to ISIS. I don't, I, I think, I think people like to say Hamas is ISIS. I actually think it's a slightly different brand of Islam. I think Hamas is actually m- m- truly more Islamic, that they adhere more to principles of the Quran. Um, but to think, you know, to, to write this out as if it's like we're going to have this beautiful land of equality and stand up to extremism and looking how Gaza is governed, right, there's, there seems to be some dissonance here between what they're saying and how they're currently governing. So uh, actions speak louder than words, as they say. Ten, Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine. Its religious, historic, and civilization status is fundamental to the Arabs, Muslims, and the world at large. Its Islamic and Christian holy places belong yeah, you see, they, they forget Jews again. It's Islamic and Christian holy places belong exclusively to the Palestinian people and to the Arab and Islamic Ummah. Not one stone in Jerusalem can be surrendered or delinqu- uh, relinquished. The measures undertaken by the occupiers in Jerusalem, such as Judaization, settlement building, and establishing facts on the ground, are fundamentally null and void, right? So they refuse to acknowledge any form of Jewish presence or history in the land. They're not outright denying it, but they're denying it by omission, essentially. They have no problem mentioning Christian history, but Jewish history, nope. That is purely um, a colonial concept. This would have more legitimacy if they made an attempt to be truthful, not just to appeal to Western progressives. The blessed Al-Aqsa Mosque belongs exclusively to our people and our Ummah and occupation has no right to it whatsoever. The occupation... Plots, measures, and attempts to Judaize Alaksa and divide it are null, void, and illegitimate. So uh, I don't even know if this is um, th- th- this isn't even really true. I mean, currently Jordan has control over over the Temple Mount area, and Israel hasn't really done much to control it. If they did, they could. It's not like Jordan could stop Israel from controlling it. So here they're just kind of making shit up. There, there is this, there is this idea. Like many Palestinians are concerned that our main goal is to uh, destroy Al-Aqsa and rebuild the Third Temple. And there's certainly some segment of Israeli population that would like to do that. But uh, that's not a strong political movement. And that's not the intention of, of most Israelis or our political establishment. Just going to drop into the comments real quick. Dun, 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 dun. Cool. Refugee and right of return. The Palestinian cause in its essence is a cause of an occupied land and a displaced people. The right of the Palestinian refugees and the displaced to return to their homes from which they were banished or were banned from returning to whether in the lands occupied in 1948 and 1967, that is the whole of Palestine, right? So again, they're saying it's all, the whole land is Palestine, is a natural right, both individual and collective. This right is confirmed by all divine laws, as well as by 
the basic principle of human rights and international law. It is an inalienable right and cannot be dispensed by any party, whether Palestinian, Arab, or international. So again, here there's an unwillingness to compromise on the right of return by saying you will return to their homes from which they were banished, right? So um, there's been discussion of right of return. Let's say in a two-state solution, Palestinians can then have the right to return to a Palestinian state. Uh, or maybe they could return to an Israeli state. But this idea that they would return to homes and villages that no longer exist is not realistic. Uh, and it would require to, to displace people that currently live there. So it would be creating a justice by creating an injustice to others. And to me, it comes off as more of a form of vengeance, right? Often people describe the need for justice, but what they're actually describing is vengeance. This seems to kind of be speaking at that. It's also not realistic. Uh, again, a more moderated version of this would be, um, you know, a dedication. Uh, the Palestinian cause has a dedication to Palestinian refugees and being able to return to the lands they are native to. Again, that's a much more moderated version. That's much more uh, realistic to say they're going to return to their home. Those homes no longer exist. Hamas rejects all attempts to erase the rights of the refugees, including the attempts to settle them outside Palestine. And though the projects of the alternative homeland compensation, Palestinian refugees for the harm they have suffered as a consequence of banishing them and occupying their land is an absolute right that goes hand in hand with their right to return. They are to receive compensation upon their return and this does not negate or diminish their right to return. Okay. The Zionist Project. The Zionist Project is a racist, aggressive, colonial, and expansionist project based on seizing the properties of others. It is hostile to the Palestinian people, to their aspiration for freedom, liberation, return, and self-determination. The Israeli identity is plaything. What is that word? I've never seen that word. Is the plaything Hold on. Look, I, I don't have the best vocab, but I feel like they shouldn't be using words like this. What does this even mean? Plaything. A toy. Guys, is this a typo? Hold on. Hold on one second. <laughs> this is hilarious. Plaything. They're saying play. <laughs> I think they, they define it as a play thing. Okay, I guess that makes sense. They're showing a toy. The rocking horse has been a favorite child's play thing. Okay, so it, play thing is one word that can mean the thing you play with. Let's see if this now makes sense in terms of uh, the definition. The, the Israeli entity is the play thing. Of the Zionist project. Okay, I, I, yeah, I guess it makes sense. That's fun. That's funny. You, so it's just a play thing, right? They're saying that um, for the Zionist project, the land is just something we play with. It's kind of making it seem like it's just our just our toy to to fuck around with. Um, I, I don't actually disagree with much in fourteen. I mean, Zionism is to, to Jews is really our right to self determination on our ancestral home, homeland. It's it's a story of controlling our own destiny. Um, determining our future. Uh, and, and that's all true. But to those who have suffered from Zionism, it's racist, aggressive, colonial, and expansionist. That That's all true as well. So I actually have no issue with that. Um, and I learned a new word 
plaything. Oh, wait, I just realized I don't have this up. Cool. Um, cool. The Zionist project does not target the Palestinian people alone. It is the enemy of the Arab and Islamic Ummah, posing a grave threat to its security and interests. It is also hostile to the Ummah's aspirations for unity, renaissance, and liberation, and has been the major source of its troubles. The Zionist project also poses a danger to international security and peace and to mankind and its interests and stability. So now we're kind of almost getting a little bit into some of those the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories like this blame the Jews. It's the Zionist entity is the, is the, the cause of all problems in the world. Um, one could say it is uh, getting in the way of some kind of unity. If you, by unity, you mean like an Islamic caliphate on the entire land, Israel's existence won't allow for that to happen. It's definitely not getting in the way of Renaissance. I mean, the, the reason the Gulf nations and soon to be Saudi Arabia and Morocco are opening up, uh, are normalizing ties with Israel is because they believe their own Renaissance is actually uh, likelier to to be achieved with relations with Israel. So that's just practically not true. Um, and poses a danger to international security. I mean, yeah, I mean, if right now what we're seeing between Israel and, and Hamas leads to World War III, then one can make that claim. But in this regard, then Hamas is also equally um, a threat to international security. So this is just this really just is like a different, a new version of blame the Jews for the world's problems, in my opinion. 16 Hamas affirms that its conflict is with the Zionist project, not with the Jews because of the religion. Hamas does not wage a struggle against the Jews because they are Jewish, but wages a struggle against the Zionists who occupy Palestine. Yet it is the Zionists who constantly identify Judaism and the Jews with their own colonial project and illegal entity. I think this is important. Um, look, if, if you look at polling, like Palestinian society is actually one of the most anti-Semitic um, people in the world. But that shouldn't be surprising. They've been in conflict with the Jewish state for 100 years. Uh, Israel is one of the most Islamic, Islamophobic countries in the entire world, maybe the number one most Islamophobic, because they've been in conflict with, with Muslims uh, for 100 years. So... This isn't to say that there's not an anti-Semitism problem in Palestinian society. Uh, I think it's also important to recognize that it shouldn't be surprising given history. Um, but it's also commonly said that Hamas's goal is to kill Jews wherever they are in the world. And that I personally think is probably an over-exaggeration. I think let's say all of Palestine is liberated. There's no more Israel. It's not like Hamas is then going to fund terror attack against Jews. Uh, again, is this really a relevant point? Probably not. But I do often hear uh, people say that Hamas's goal is to kill Jews wherever in the world they are. And there's not real reason to believe that to be true. And even if they didn't say that, I think there's still not you know, a strong case to be made that that is their goal. Their goal really is with Jews living on the land. Um, and we do see that it's not just Zionist Jews living on the land. They seem to erase Jewish history from the land. So Reading this doesn't give me confidence that a Palestinian state run by Hamas is going to somehow be a land for where Jews can live there peacefully, right? There's not, there's not real reason to believe that to be the case. Um, 17. Hamas rejects the persecution of any human being or the undermining of his or her rights on nationalist, religious, or sectarian grounds. Hamas is of the view 
that the Jewish problem, anti-Semitism, and the persecution of the Jews are phenomena fundamentally linked to European history and not the history of the Arab Arabs and the Muslims or their heritage. The Zionist movement, which was able, with the help of Western powers, to occupy Palestine, is the most dangerous form of settlement occupation, which has already disappeared from much of the world and must disappear from Palestine. Okay, so let's break this down. Uh, it is true that, you know, uh, it seems like anti-Semitism is primarily came from, from Europe, started with the idea that the Jews killed Jesus, then to blood libel, to Jews having disproportionate control, to, to, to controlling all these industries. Um, all this comes from Europe, but was adopted uh, by, you know, by Middle Eastern countries. I believe it is, and this is part of Zionism, I believe it is in the 1800s where we start to see blood libel spread to Syria. Uh, there were some pogroms against Jews. Again, this is prior to, to Herzl's Zionist movement. So, I mean, that's all good. You could, you could talk about where anti-Semitism originated, but that doesn't remove you from your responsibility if these nations are anti-Semitic. Currently, the most anti-Semitic nations in the world are Middle Eastern nations. You could say that's connected to Zionism, and I imagine to a large extent it is. Um, but when you ask, again, when you ask, the poll was, do Jews have too much power? Um, the, the amount of people that say yes in the Middle East is higher than any other place. Now, I don't want to get too much into like what constitutes anti-Semitism, because I could actually see a case where you could say that Jews... Oh, so I want to go down this rabbit hole. Do Jews have too much power? How do you define too much? I think it's not anti-Semitic to say Jews have disproportionate power. I mean, that's that's fact, right? If, if you look at, uh, there's so many ways to measure it. Um, but, you know, Jews are disproportionately wealthy, disproportionately hold positions of influence in politics, media, finance. I mean, th th this is fact. This isn't debatable. Um and I don't think that's anti-Semitic to acknowledge. I think it's anti-Semitic to accuse those Jews in powers of having some ulterior motive, of being evil, of trying to control the world, of trying to destroy the Gentiles. This is where it really gets into problem, problematic stuff. Um, but again, I'm, I'm going on a, on, on a tangent. Let's focus right now on 17, where they're trying to say anti-Semitism is not a Middle Eastern thing. It's not an Arab or Muslim thing. It's a European thing. Take some responsibility within these forms of hate within your own cultures. Don't just try to deflect. Continuing, the position towards occupation and political solutions, the following are considered null and void. The Balfour Declaration, the British Mandate Document, the UN Palestine Partition Resolution, and whatever resolutions and me measures that derive from them or are similar to them. The establishment of Israel is entirely illegal and contravenes the inalienable rights of the Palestinian people and goes against their will and the will of the Ummah. It is also in violation of human rights that are guaranteed by international conventions. Foremost among them is the right to self-determination. So here again, we have more saying they do not accept any form of Israel's existence. Israel is entirely illegal, right? Because people do use this new charter as proof that Hamas supports a two-state solution. And we'll get there. And again, I, the word Ummah comes up a lot. Let me just... Let, let me just read a clear definition so people can understand. Hold on. 
Uma is the Arabic word meaning people or group or community formed based on some common and coherent features like language, race, religion, culture, and economic interests. So when, when we, they say Uma, they're kind of saying like the, the Muslim community. There shall Next, there shall be no recognition of the legitimacy of the Zionist entity, whatever has befallen the land of Palestine in terms of occupation, settlement building, Judaization, and changes to its features or falsification of facts is illegitimate. Rights never lapse. Um, again, here they're denying Israel's right to exist. Um, Hamas believes that no part of Israel or no part of the land of Palestine shall be compromised or conceded, irrespective of the causes, the circumstances, and the pressures. And no matter how long the occupation lasts, Hamas rejects any alternative to the full and complete liberation of Palestine from the river to the sea. So they're calling the full liberation of Palestine from the river to the sea. However, without compromising its rejection of the Zionist entity and without relinquishing any Palestinian rights, Hamas considers the establishment of a fully sovereign and independent Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital along the lines of the 4th of June 1967 with the return of refugees and displaced to their homes from which they were expelled to be a formula of national consensus. So here's where things get confusing, right? Because up until now, they say the full liberation of the land. We don't recognize any Zionist entity. Israel is an illegal entity. From the river to the sea, that is all Palestine. And here they're saying, but there's a consensus that we would, we, again, Hamas considers the establishment of a fully sovereign and independent Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital along 67 borders. So very confusing. But I think here they're talking about a milestone, right? They're saying we would accept this solution if given to us. But it seems quite evident based on this charter that that is not their end goal. So any progressive, you know, and I'm thinking of a Twitter account specifically who, who I'm going to do a review, Caitlin Johnstone. Uh, she, she's like one. I'm sure she's she means well, but I, I, I struggle when. You all know, whoever watches know that I struggle with like woke social justice. So she's like the epitome of a a woke activist trying to explain the conflict to Westerners. And she really doesn't have a good understanding of what she's talking about. But she constantly cites this part of the Hamas charter uh, as as Hamas being progressive and willing to accept Israel's right to exist. She's like, of course, they recognize Israel's right to exist. Look, it says they support a two state solution. If she'd read the charter there's no way you could reach that conclusion. So either she's uninformed uh, or being intellectually dishonest, and and you will see other progressives. Uh, no, I don't want to call them progressives. Other social justice activists using this example in the charter uh, to prove that Hamas does does not want to destroy all, all of Israel, but them being dedicated to the destruction of Israel is evident if you read the the charter. Twenty one. Hamas affirms that the Oslo Accords and their agenda contravene the government rules of international law in that they generate commitments that violates the inalienable rights of the Palestinian people. Therefore, the movement rejects these agreements and all that flows from them. Such are the obligations that are detrimental to the interests of our people, especially security coordination. Okay, they reject Oslo. Hamas rejects all the agreements, initiatives, and settlement projects that are aimed at undermining the Palestinian cause and the right of our Palestinian people. In this regard, any stance, initiative, or political program must not in any way violate these rights and should not contravene them or contradict them. 
Next, Hamas stresses that transgression against the Palestinian people, usurping their land and banishing them from their homeland, cannot be called peace. Any settlement reached on this basis will not lead to peace, resistance, and jihad for the liberation of Palestine will remain a legitimate right, a duty and honor for all the sons and daughters of our people and our Ummah. So here really they're saying, if you do not agree to our terms, and some of these terms are the entire land is Palestine, all refugees need to return to their homes. And if you deny this, this is not peace. And resistance and jihad is a legitimate solution. And again, th- th- this idea, this idea that we will resist until we get everything we want. And again, I'm not taking responsibility off of Israel and their lack of commitment to the peace process. But this idea, this mentality that we will not stop fighting and not stop fighting violently until we get everything we want um, is one of the reasons why the conflict still exists today an unwillingness to compromise and that unwillingness leading to violent resistance. Let's see how much more we have. Damn, this shit is long. Okay. Well, we're we're almost through. Almost through. Good to see. We still got a a good crew of people here. Um, Resistance and liberation, the liberation of Palestine is the duty of the Palestinian people in a particular Palestinian people in particular, and the duty of the Arab and Islamic Ummah in general, it is also humanitarian obligation as necessitated by the dictates of truth and justice. The agencies working for Palestine, whether national, Arab, Islamic, or humanitarian, complement each other and are harmonious and not in conflict with each other. Um, yeah, again, trying to paint this as like a humanitarian organization. I'm not. I'm not buying it. Not buying it. Sorry, buddies. Resisting resisting the occupation with all means and methods is legitimate right guaranteed by divine laws and by international norms and laws at the heart of these implied armed resistance. Right at the heart of these lies armed resistance. They're not saying including armed resistance. This has been one of my major critiques that uh, the primary means of Palestinian resistance has been violent. The primary target has been civilians. And and by the way, that is not true. Targeting civilians is not legal based on international laws, which they're claiming it is. So they're wrong. Divine law is fine. They're talking about religion. So it's a theological perspective that you could be violent towards that violent resistance is the way. But again, they're saying at the heart, at the heart of this lies armed resistance. Um, and this has been quite different from and again, there have been other national liberation movements that have been primarily violent, but a lot of the most successful ones have been primarily nonviolent and they've proven to be successful. Um, and if there's any place where violence, I think, won't work, it's against the Jewish people because Jews came to this land um, kind of escaping violence and was born under the notion of never again. So any form of violence is just responded to with more violence. And again, Israel having the upper hand, this retaliation to violence causes immense misery to the Palestinian people. This idea that at the heart of that, the the primary means of resistance should be armed has done very little to promote the Palestinian cause, uh, but done a whole lot to cause Palestinian misery. 
Um, actually, I want to be clear. I said has done nothing to promote the Palestinian cause. I mean, the Palestinian cause has been successfully been promoted to be a globally recognized cause. So it's been successful. But that doesn't mean they couldn't have achieved that through nonviolent means. It's actually quite possible to have much more support if they uh, achieve this through nonviolent means. So just an example, um, MLK Jr., was it the march to Montgomery? I don't want to get this wrong, but they were um, – what is the bridge where they were attacked on? Whatever. I'm not going to have all the details, but but the, I'll be able to get the point across. It was the mar- March to Montgomery. They were marching peacefully. And when they were on whatever that famous bridge were, they were attacked by police. Those images of peaceful people walking, being attacked by police, was spread around the world and helped improve the cause uh, of the American civil rights movement significantly, right? That's in opposition to like the 6,000 videos that that Hamas filmed on October 7th, which isn't used to promote the, the Palestinian cause. It's used against the Palestinian cause. So uh, I think that Palestine would have even more support than they do and would be seen as less of a threat if their prim- primary means of resistance was nonviolent. Continuing, Hamas rejects any attempt to undermine the resistance and its arms. It also affirms the right of our people to develop the means and mechanisms of resistance, managing resistance in terms of escalation or de-escalation, or in terms of diversifying the means and methods is an integral part of the process of managing the conflict and should not be at the expense expense of the principle of resistance. Um Okay, so now they're saying there are other means, but, you know, armed resistance is is the primary means. Palestinian political system, a real state of Palestine is a state that has been liberated. There is no alternative to a fully sovereign Palestinian state or the entire national Palestinian soil with Jerusalem as its capital. So here they're just, again, flat out saying a real state of Palestine, a state that has been liberated. There's no alternative to fully sovereign Palestine state on the entire national Palestinian soil. Right. So anybody saying that, that Hamas supports a two state solution is not, is really not reading the charter or they're, or they're just pretending there's really no way you could read this and say they support a two state solution. Hamas believes in and adheres to managing its Palestinian relations on the basis of pluralism, democracy, national partnership, acceptance of the other, and adoption of dialogue. The aim is to bolster the unity of ranks and joint action for the purpose of accomplishing national goals and fulfilling the aspiration of the Palestinian people. So question, why is Gaza not a democracy today? They have the ability to. Why not be a democracy now? Why not prove that you support democracy? And, you know, I don't even want to get into like women's rights and LGBTQ rights. Like that's just obviously there's no there's no acceptance of the other in that regard, uh, which is true across the Middle East. Right. But when they mean acceptance of the other, I think they mean like, you know, if you're a Palestinian Christian, we'll accept you. Um, you know, I, I think that's what they're getting at. And they're using just a lot of progressive terms to try to appeal to the to the Western progressive. Uh, but again, none of this. None of what they're describing here actually exists in Gaza today, so actions speak louder than words. Um, what, what's funny is, though, like, people actually buy this, right? Some people would 
would read this, I, I guess it's a form of like confirmation bias, right? So like, let's say you're a progressive reading this, not a progressive. I keep saying that. Let's say you're like a, a social justice activist and you're reading this. You're going to kind of look over the part where they call for the liberation of the entire land. You're going to really put an emphasis on the part of the two-state solution and the part where they call for plurality and acceptance and all that. And you're going to be like, oh, look, they're a progressive organization. Somebody who is uh, like anti-Hamas reading this is really going to put the primary focus on on like armed resistance and, and, all, and all that stuff. Um, and again, some would say, let's just take them at their word. So... There's certain things where, like, it's easier to take someone on their word if it's like a future promise, like saying, um, we, we're going to continue to fight to liberate the entire land. That's not something that, like, it's easier to take someone on their word if it's not something they're already not pr- proving or not proving to do. But when they're saying that we, like, support democracy and they currently, Gaza is not a democracy, then how can you take them on their word on that? Because they're already proving that that is not to be the case. Um, cool. Continuing. The PLO is a national framework for the Palestinian people inside and outside of Palestine. It should therefore be preserved, developed, and rebuilt on democratic foundations so as the secure as to secure the participation of all the constituents and forces of the Palestinian people in a manner that safeguards Palestinian rights. Okay, also talking about democratic foundations. Hamas stresses the necessity of building Palestinian national institutions on sound democratic principles. Again, democratic principles. Foremost among them are free and fair elections. Free and fair elections. Can we get those in Gaza? Maybe that's a good start. Such process should be on the basis of national partnership and in accordance with clear program with a clear strategy that adhere to the rights, including the right of resistance and which fulfill the aspirations of the Palestinian people. You know, like generally it's a sign of emotional immaturity when you're like, I'm going to be different when that happens. Like generally, if, if your values are are true, then you don't wait to adhere to them. So if Hamas actually cared about these things, they would start now. They wouldn't say, uh, this is only relevant once we were a fully sovereign state. And so we're a fully sovereign state. We don't need to do any of this stuff. Um, like, let me give you an example. If somebody's like, uh, I'm only be, going to be kind to people who are kind to me. Okay. I, I think a lot of people might hold this a position like that, but generally speaking, your kindness should not be dependent on it being reciprocal. You should just be kind because kindness is just a good virtue to have, right? So generally somebody who like is only good given certain circumstances or makes their virtues conditional on something happened, to me, it comes off as a sign of emotional immaturity or really not holding those virtues true. Continuing. Hamas affirms that the role of the Palestinian authorities should be to serve the Palestinian people and safeguard their security, their rights, and their national project. Oh, interesting. Now they're talking about the Palestinian Authority. Wait. I'm confused. The PLO... The PLO became the Palestinian Authority, but this is not Hamas. So are they now saying how they feel the PA should act? PLO is a national framework for the Palestinian people inside and outside of Palestine. I don't get it. Why is the PLO relevant here? Can somebody in the comments please explain what the hell is going on? Weird. And again, they go. 
They're using PLO and Palestinian Authority interchangeably, which you, you can do. Today, they are known as the PA, Palestinian Authority. Uh, Hamas affirms that the role of the PA should be to serve the Palestinian people and safeguard their security, their rights, and their national. Is this, are they endorsing the PA as a legitimate political entity? I don't get it. Hamas stresses the necessity of maintaining the independence of Palestinian national decision-making. Outside forces should not be allowed to intervene. At the same time, Hamas affirms that responsibility of the Arabs and the Muslims and their duty and role in the liberation of Palestine from Zionist, Zionist occupation. Palestinian society is enriched by its prominent personalities, figures, dignitaries, civil society institutions, and youth, students, trade, unionists, women's group, Women's groups, interesting. Are they talking about national goals? Women's groups who work together for the achievement of national goals and societal building pursue resistance and achieve liberation. Are there, can somebody tell me of like a women's activist group within Gaza right now? Because that's fascinating if that exists, but I'm not sure it does. But they do use a photo. Actually, look, check this out. Palestinian women protest in support of Hamas and Gaza. Okay, that's not the same thing. That doesn't mean it's like a, a, a woman's group. Well, maybe it is. Okay, fair. But but check this out. Okay. Women protesting in support of Hamas in Gaza. What if they were protesting against Hamas in Gaza? Then what? The Arab and Islamic Ummah. Hamas believes that the Palestinian issue is the central cause for the Arab and Islamic Ummah. Hamas believes in the unity of the Ummah with all its diverse constituents and is aware of the need to avoid anything that could fragment the Ummah and undermine its unity. Hamas believes in cooperating with all states that support the right of the Palestinian people. It opposes intervention in the international affairs by any country. It also refuses to be drawn into disputes and conflicts that take place among different countries. So they have the kind of this isolationist stance, which is interesting. Hamas adopts the policy of opening up to different states in the world, especially the Arab and Islamic states. It endeavors to establish balanced relations on the basis of combining the requirements of the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian people, interests on the land, on the one hand with the interests of the Ummah, the Renaissance, and the security of the other. Okay, we're almost done. Just a few more. The humanitarian and international aspect. The Palestinian issue is one that has major humanitarian and international dimensions. Supporting and backing this cause is a humanitarian and civilizational task that is required by the prerequisites of truth, justice, and common humanitarian values, again, appealing to the Western progressive. From a legal and humanitarian perspective, the liberation of Palestine is a legitimate activity it is an act of self-defense. It is the expression of the natural right of all people to self-determination. In its relations with world nations and peoples, Hamas believes in the values of cooperation, justice, freedom, and respect of the will of the people. Okay, pretty progressive. Hamas welcomes the stances of, the, of states, organizations, and institutions that support the rights of Palestinian people. It salutes the free people of the world who support the Palestinian cause at the same time, it denounces the support granted by any party to the Zionist entity or the attempts to cover up crimes and aggression against the Palestinians and calls for the prosecution of Zionist war criminals. Okay. Hamas rejects the attempts to impose hegemony on the Arab and Islamic Ummah, just as it rejects the attempts to impose hegemony on the rest of the world's nations. People, Hamas also condemns 
all forms of colonialism, occupation, discrimination, oppression, and aggression in the world. I'm trying to really finish it on a nice, peaceful, progressive note. Okay, that's your charter. Um, to conclude, you could see a great attempt for them to really focus on like these progressive ideals, liberal values, none of which they currently adhere to when governing Gaza. Um, they can make an excuse that they're not fully sovereign, which they certainly are not. But is that a reason to not begin to be uphold these progressive values um, that they claim to espouse? Um, what's also clear here is their goal is the full liberation of Palestine from the river to the sea. They make that very, very clear in multiple, multiple uh, instances, and that their primary means of resistance should be armed resistance. Um, I'm seeing I missed point 34 on women. Did I miss point 34? Oh, you're right. Sorry, I got I I got intrigued by the photo. Thank you, Yasmin. The role of the Palestinian women is fundamental in the process of building the present and the future, just as it's always been in the process of making Palestinian history. It is a pivotal role in the project of resistance, liberation, and building the political system. Okay. Um, are there any prominent Palestinian political figures or political uh, activists? Well, I guess... Um, I mean, the, 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 interestingly, the most prominent Palestinian political figures are citizens of Israel uh, serving in the Israeli government or Israeli opposition. Um, what's his name? Why am I blanking on his name? Mohammed Al-Kurd, his sister, you could say, is a, is a prominent uh, female Palestinian activist. Uh, anyway, so the, the charter is kind of all over the place. You see they're, they're appealing to those, to, to Western progressives, uh, but they're still very clear that liberating the entire land uh, is their goal. And actually, I, you would e I would even go on to say that if you look at like what progressives are saying, they are actually saying, many of them are saying Hamas is progressive and that the solution is one state for all people. Um, so it's almost like they're agreeing with the charter word for word, but they are believing that somehow Jews would be living in the state where it, it actually doesn't mention uh, anything about like Jewish connection to the land, uh, Jewish status on the land after the liberation of Palestine. Um, now, Maybe a few words on terminology, because I realize I, I you, this is a thought I was having midway. I said progressive, and I said, uh, I don't want to use progressive. Let's call them social justice activists. But I kind of want to take that back. I, I think that we have a problem with language. I think we use certain terms. We use like, let's talk about the American left, right? You could call them leftists. You could call them liberals. You could call them progressives. Are these all interchangeable? Um, I think many people use them interchangeably. I think they, I think there's probably a distinction between them. Maybe you could call the, the left, the left is more of a general term that everybody who is on that side of the political spectrum and within there's different camps. Some would be defined as liberals. Um, I kind of view liberal more as like liberal in the classic sense. Um, 
you know, like equality for all people, uh, supports more of a traditional social justice stance, kind of like the, the social justice of MLK Jr. Um, supports some kind of a social safety net. It's more of like a more moderate leftist is what is called liberal. Progressive is generally focused more on, call it like, that's the camp of social Democrats, like Bernie Sanders was a progressive. Um, progressives are generally more pro-Palestine. Liberals seem to be more pro-Israel. Or maybe liberals, I would say, are maybe a little bit more balanced. Um, progressives focus a lot on socioeconomic um so socioeconomic issues and those disparities. And then you have what is often known as like wokeness. And this isn't a self-identified term, right? This wokeness is a term given by those who are anti-woke. Um, but it's like a collection of different ideas uh, that one can identify. And they generally don't focus on socioeconomics. That's more of a focus on uh, race, sexual orientation, and gender. These are their primary means of viewing society. And they have this very binary way of viewing things as like oppressor versus oppressed. Uh, if you have these qualities, you're in the oppressor class. If you have these qualities, you're in the oppressed class. Progressives might view that more similarly, but the way they define it is really based on socioeconomics. Uh, whereas those who have been defined as woke, if you're poor and white, you could still be an oppressor. If you're rich and black, you are, oh, do you see how that happens? A little thumbs up. They, they literally do that without my consent, that little pop up there. Right. So like the, the woke view would kind of be, if you are poor and white, you are oppressed. But if you are rich and black, you, sorry, if you are poor and white, you are an oppressor. If you are rich and black, you are oppressed. I think that's one distinction that socioeconomics matters less. It's really more about skin color, gender, and sexual orientation. And out of the whole camp of on the left, the one that I really take most issue with, because I don't view it as liberal or progressive, is really what is known to be uh, this this woke social justice. I'm actually interested in seeing what ChatGPT says about this, because ChatGPT is actually very good at breaking down ideas in a very nuanced way. Whoever's not using ChatGPT, you should be using that shit daily. Uh, it helps make you smarter. Okay, yeah. Can you explain why you don't like wokeness? Yeah, let, let, me, let me break this down, and then we'll ask ChatGPT to define this. So, again, it's not like there's a group that self-identifies as woke. Actually, hold on. Before I go on this, let me hydrate. By the way, shout out to our sponsor, Leisure. They don't sponsor Soho. They sponsor my company, Grateful Giraffes. It's this healthy electrolyte beverage. Only five grams of sugar, so health, much healthier than Gatorade and better like, uh, look, they got all that. Potassium, vitamin C, B6, B12, magnesium, good stuff. And it tastes delicious. It's the mango. They have three flavors. Shout out to Leisure. Okay. So it's not like pe people don't self-identify as woke, generally speaking. Um, it, it did start from the racial justice movement. It was like stay woke was this concept. It's like be awakened to the injustices in society, which is fine. Uh, but there's no group that really says we 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 identify as woke. Most woke people would probably, I imagine, identify as leftists or progressives, maybe some as liberals. But there's certain 
ideas or themes that you could identify in those who are generally seen as woke. So one of them is their real, their, their focus on race, gender, and sexual orientation, but not just the focus on it. It's almost like they make it seem like it is the single most important thing about a person, right? Martin Luther King said, judge somebody not by the content of their, sorry, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, where they're saying, actually, the color of your skin is essential to understanding who you are. Now, there is some truth to hear that we're not yet in a place where we could truly be colorblind because um, your race, sexual orientation, and gender may impact how you're perceived in society. So there needs to be some conversation about it, but it's to the point where it is almost an obsession. It is your central identity. Um, and again, all that does is make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. When we're telling kids from a young age, you're white, this means this about you. You're black, this means this about you. You begin to see color more, where we should be moving to a society where race, gender, and sexual orientation is the least important thing about who somebody is. Again, the content of one's character is the most important. Uh, but it seems like this movement is really determined to put, put your central identity be these characteristics. And then they will say, depending on these characteristics, that determines if you are oppressed or oppressor. And they have a very simplistic and binary view of viewing this. Like, as I mentioned, if you're poor and white, you're an oppressor. If you're rich and black, you're oppressed. Um, and their idea of privilege, again, is very simplistic, right? So one of the things they use is check your privilege or you're coming from a place of privilege, right? These are terms that generally you hear from not liberals, but from people who are uh, described as woke. Now, again, their idea of privilege is very simplistic. They would say that, uh, again, it's based on gender, race, and sexual orientation. But let me ask you all something. Who has more privilege, a poor white man or a middle-class black woman? Sober. Most people in the woke camp would conclude, just based on skin color, that the poor white man has more privilege than a middle-class black woman. But if you actually look at who has more access to opportunity, who is more likely to um, remain in middle class or even uh, elevate themselves to upper class, by most metrics, the black woman does have more privilege than the poor white man. That doesn't mean the black woman isn't going to face struggles that the poor white man won't know. No, she will have her own set of struggles being not only a woman, but also black. But you can't just based on the fact of her being a black woman, define all that much about her. There are so many other factors. So one, as I keep mentioning, is socioeconomics. The others, do you come from a supportive, loving family? Uh, single parent household plays a role on, again, certain outcomes. Uh, what is your? What are your natural abilities? Good-looking people uh, have advantages in life. Intelligent people have advantages in life. Your height gives you advantages in life. Hell, being right-handed is an advantage. Left-handed people also, they, they can't even find proper pencils. Hold on one second. Sorry, getting some background noise. Um, so the privilege is very multifaceted, uh, but you wouldn't know this if you're speaking to, to woke people. They will make it seem like it really is only dependent on skin color, gender, and sexual orientation. It's just not, it's not going to give you an accurate worldview. That's, so that's another issue I, I take with this collection of ideas. Another one is that they are really not open often to dialogue. And again, you're not, I'm not saying you're not going to find people who subscribe to these ideologies that 
aren't open, but this is like a general sentiment um, engaging with these people. They're generally not open to debate and they have ways to shut down debate. They say um, we don't debate with the we don't debate the oppressor. Um, you can't possibly have an opinion on this because you're white or you're a male. You know, they try to shut you down based on some immutable characteristic you have. Um, and I think this is actually maybe not intentional, but necessary for wokeness to survive. So for an idea to be relevant and spread, it needs to either be logical and, and stand on its own merit, uh, or it needs to have a built-in mechanism to shut down debate. So religion does this very well, right? Like a lot of religions say you can't question the religion. You need to accept this is the word of God. Do not debate it. And some religions say if you challenge it, you, you can and should be killed. Okay. Uh, conveniently that, you know, a lot of religions make claims that don't really stand the test of time. But if you're not allowed to, if you're not allowed to question it, it's more likely to stand the test of time. So wokeness has something similar that you, that if you challenge it, you'll be accused of coming from a place of privilege, siding with the oppressor, not possibly being able to understand. Um, so this is really a built-in mechanism to stop debate because it's not really a coherent ideology that stands on its own merit. And even to the point, right, like I'm trying to speak on this topic as good faith as possible. And those who have been watching the show know that I generally try to make an effort to, to be fair in how I approach things. And again, not, not without fault. I'm far from perfect. But a lot of people might watch this and be like, oh, look, just the white man talking about issues of oppressed. What can he know? He's just a fragile white man, right? They're going to they're gonna attack my intention uh, instead of challenge me on what I'm actually saying. And it's much easier to just attack somebody's identity and try to delegitimize them based on like an ad hominem just by attacking them. It's much harder to challenge their ideas. And this is a call it a political ideology that often doesn't try to engage um, on the merit of of one's ideas. So that's another grievance I have with it. A third or maybe this is the fourth grievance. It's that. I think that so much of living a meaningful, a happy and meaningful life is your own outlook on life. And there very much is this idea that not only is your primary identity, your skin color or gender, sexual orientation, it's that it's an identity of a victim. Uh, people are, are raised to now believe that you are a victim and that is your primary identity. You are oppressed and that is your primary identity. When you are hearing these stories of you being a victim time and time again, you begin to see yourself as a victim. It is a, it is um, a worldview that is disempowering those who can most benefit from becoming from being empowered. Um, so there's a difference between saying you as a black woman may have certain challenges in society. That is true. That's not the same as saying you are a victim. You are oppressed. Because that then becomes your identity and you start to see the world against you and you stop to believe that you have the power to, to improve your life and, and determine your destiny. You think that others need to change it. You think that the system needs to change in order for you to ever live a meaningful life. So I view this as an ideology that is inherently disempowering to those who can benefit from being empowered. Um. I would say that probably sums up my challenges with what is uh, described as wokeness. Oh, and here's another one. Uh, it's devoid of policy, right? So there's a lot of these like vague concepts like um, 
and institutional racism and systemic racism, but they don't, they're not actually pushing policy. Um, let me just give a clear example. Like during the George Floyd protest, the single most popular policy position and pretty much the only policy position that was popularized was defund or abolish the police. When you looked at polling, that was widely unpopular. Even the majority of black Americans did not support defunding the police. Um, so they push these vague concepts that are, are not really like, like, how do you quantify it, right? Like, how do you actually achieve it if you talk about end institutional racism? They don't actually explain what it looks like to achieve that goal. Um, and then when they finally decide on a policy position, it's widely unpopular and not actually going to help people. The, the counties that defunded the police ended up refunding them because they saw it just caused an increase in crime. An increase in crime is harming in those cities is actually primarily harming black Americans. So there's so much policy uh, that can be changed. And again, here's another grievance that it's a divisive uh, um, ideology. There's a lot of policy that can help. Um, and again, I'm going to stick on the topic of black, black Americans right now, because this is where I really saw a lot of these issues during the George Floyd protest. There's a lot of policy changes that can actually uplift black Americans and black Americans have had a very horrible history in the United States. There's no denying that. And they still face challenges that white Americans can't uh, struggle to recognize. Um, but if we want to elev elevate the lives of black Americans, some of it you could say comes down to uh, certain changes within black communities, but I want to talk more so about policy. Um, so ending the war on drugs is something that you can build a consensus, not only amongst black Americans, but also white Americans who are also affected by the war on drugs. Um, also even decriminalizing most, if not all substances can help a lot of these communities, uh, how schools are, um, are funded. Currently public schools are funded through property taxes, right? So America claims to be, you know, all about equality, but if you're, if you're born a poor family or in a poor neighborhood, you're going to go to a school that has less funding than if you're in a middle class or rich neighborhood. What's the, how, how's that equal? So, right. This is something that white and black Americans uh, can agree on. Um, criminal justice reform is another one that, that black and white Americans can agree on. Right. So there's a lot of policy that not only can they elevate black Americans, but you can actually through pushing these, you can achieve consensus amongst Americans. And when you achieve consensus, you have a much greater ability to uh, get things passed. But again, it's focused on divisive rhetoric vague concepts of like deconstructionism um, and then proposing policy that is just not popular. Uh, so not only do I view it as like ideologically inconsistent and incoherent, I also view it as pragmatically shallow. Um, and another thing I'll put out there, I, the Democratic Party has really like embraced this ideology. And my theory as to why is because it's very energizing, right? It's like it gets you riled up. You're, you know, it rallies people towards change. But the fact that it's devoid of policy is so convenient for the Dem for, for both Democrats and Republicans. But Democrats are very happy to get a riled up base that are going to rally and vote without needing to make any promise for real change. Right. So they don't actually don't need to change uh, the system, which benefits them or at least the elitists among their party, they need to make zero change, but they can still rile up a base and get them to vote. Right? So it's very convenient. Like the Democratic Party loves wokeness because it's, it's perfect for them. Um, yeah, so end of rant. That's, that's my challenges with, with, uh, with wokeness. Uh, yeah, 
maybe I'll do some separate videos on that. I, I do want to actually, that, that is a topic I do want to do. Like, you know, we're all about having conversations. So we have Israelis and Palestinians on. I, you know, we, we've had anti-Semites on. I do want to have more, more uh, people who do subscribe to these ideologies. I think it would be productive conversations. Um, anyways, uh, I'll take a few questions, perhaps uh, thoughts, questions, and then we'll sign off because we are going on an hour and 20 and I do have some work to get done before the weekend. Connor, Connor Gutierrez is asking, will grateful giraffes do parties on the East Coast? Yeah, so for those who don't know, you can see there's a giraffe in the background. There's actually giraffes all over our apartment here in Venice, but uh, we're, we're uh, building this global community. Look at that pillow. People who come together for group experiences with the goal of leaving us elevated and connected. It's really focused on health and wellness. Our goal really is to elevate collective well-being through these group experiences. But we're not just building a community. We're building a lifestyle brand. The idea is that this brand will release products, services, and experiences to the world that can elevate well-being and foster human connection. The idea, though, is that the brand will be collectively owned by the community. So we're doing this cool concept where any community member can earn equity of grateful drafts, thereby aligning incentives amongst, um, amongst this collective. Uh, and we feel like this really allows us to unleash a massive force of good onto the world, right? Because a small team working on providing value for the world, sure, we can. But if we could align incentives amongst thousands of exceptional people and work on providing value together, then that's really our greatest chance to not only have a competitive advantage uh, and build like a globally recognized brand, but also have global impact. So that's how we're going about it. Uh, we do, yeah, we do right now, like we're very active here in LA, but we have around one experience a month currently in New York, whether it's like a dinner or some ecstatic dance thing. So if anybody is um, wants wants to be involved in some capacity or another, you know, reach out to me. My my info's in the description. Um, and we do one online virtual experience every Wednesday Wednesday morning. So no matter where you are, there's some value you could currently get. The precious has going over the old charter, the newer one. We already went over the new one. We're just chit chatting now. Um, So social surrealists says they're all very agreeable and fair critiques, but please use a better term than woke. You know what? I, I am perfectly okay with this, with this pushback. I just don't know what to call it. Like let, let's look at the different things it's been called. It used to be described as like political correctness. Um, what does Jordan Peterson call it? He calls it the postmodern neo-Marxists, right? He has an interesting term for it. Sam Harris says, identitarian moral panic, right? He has a different way to describe it. What what do we even call this thing? Like, I, I wish that like five years ago, even 10 years ago, right? It's been, it's been popularized long enough. We would kind of agree on a term that was a little bit more formal than wokeness. I agree. Every time I say wokeness, I feel like I need to explain myself. But I don't think, I, I really don't know what term to use. So if you have another term, I'm happy to. I sometimes say the social justice orthodoxy or the new age social justice movement. Uh, chat, let, let me know what term you what term you like, because I'm definitely down to find a better term. Garefoot goes, just throwing the idea out there, I think that a new peace movement should be based on honor as a motto, as in making both sides try to recognize the honor and dignity of the other. I like that. Hadid 20 goes, plaything was a funny term, but maybe it was translated from Arabic. Can somebody explain that? I, I saw somebody else comment that. Is plaything, like, is that something used in Arabic? And then they just, that was the best word they found for it. 
or or says woke doesn't exist really well i described a, a set of beliefs that certainly do exist and many people believe them what we decide to call them you know is up for discussion but in that sense if we want to call that collection of ideas woke then it does exist but i agree it's not there are no group of people that say we identify as woke most woke people would probably say they're progressives <clears throat> So social surrealist says racial reductionists. Wait, or are, are, are you actually saying you don't think these people exist? People who, uh, please clarify, because I find that hard to believe. Um, I'll tell you where they exist primarily on Twitter, but it's this is a very common um, ideology on college campuses. Uh you know, millennials kind of help popularize it, but it's even more popular amongst Gen Z. Um, I mean, they, they certainly do exist. Most self-proclaimed progressives are non-traditional progressives. Okay, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. I still don't really get it. Um, but we'll, what I will say is if you go online, there's a lot more woke ideology than when you're living your daily life. I guess it really depends which circles you're in. But like, you know, I've been in Venice, California the past 16 months now, primarily. I was word coming out here that would be super woke. It's not woke at all. People there don't give a fuck. I would say like out here, they're just more about just love. It's like, yeah, why can't we all get along? Um but if you go to like places in Hollywood, it's a little more woke. If you go to the college campuses, it's a lot more woke. Or I don't get what you mean by saying, find me the person. What do you mean by that? I mean, I can give you influencers that, that subscribe to these ideologies. And I could also scroll through Twitter. Okay, so what, what are the proper terms for the, for the collection of those beliefs? Hadid goes, if Hamas were to forego violence, then would they get better terms? I think Hamas points at the PA and says, look what peace gets you. Delegitimizing the PA has hurt the peace process, I think. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, the PA has been significantly more peaceful than Hamas. True. And life in the West Bank is significantly better than life in Gaza. So at, at the very least, peace gets you a better quality of life. Or nonviolence gets you. Uh, nonviolence gets you a better quality of life. No, so or I disagree with you, but you're welcome to come on. A, you're welcome to come on a stream to to discuss this. I agree. It depends on the person. So if I were to say Ibram X, X Kennedy, you'd say they're an anti-racist. But there's a certain theme to their ideas that you will find in. Um, not only racial justice movements, but also um, gender rights movement, women's rights movement. So it, it's you, you can't just say that it's uh, th- th- there's a broader collection of ideas that that exists that connects a few different um, rights movements, you could call it.
Uh, Yasmin says, but it doesn't it didn't get us freedom. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think the path to, to Palestinian liberation is is so cut and dry. Um, I do think that nonviolence is going to be more effective than violence, but I also think a lot of it comes down to the goal. So I think that uh, even if Palestinians, hold on one second, there's just a lot of noise coming from the outside. I want to close the door. Uh, I, I think that if we look at like the if Palestinian violence was Palestinian resistance was not violent at all, but their goal was dismantling Israel, I still think it wouldn't wouldn't succeed. So a lot of it is not only the type of resistance is what is the goal and having a a viable end goal is essential. And again, this was one of my critiques of wokeness. It's not clear what the viable end goal is. So if Palestinian resistance was very much dedicated not to the destruction of a Jewish state, but to the creation of a Palestinian state, then I think um, doing that through nonviolent means could very much be effective. If the goal of Palestinian resistance would be to improve the lives of Palestinians living in within Israel, Palestinian citizens of Israel, that's an attainable goal that they could certainly achieve. So it's not only what is the means of resistance, uh, it is what is the goal, and the goal needs to be realistic. Um, that said, I'm not going to say it's so cut and dry. There has been there has been a, an expansionist sector of Israeli society that has always existed, and when shit hits the fan, they see, they often get what they want. And um, this expansionist segment of Israeli society is counter to Palestinian liberation. Uh, what is true, though, is violence strengthens the expansionist movement. So, if, so violence is fuel to the fire that is expansionism. Expansionism is fuel to the fire that is violence. So it's a it's a vicious cycle. Or says woke is as specific as idealistic. Um. No, no, I, I wouldn't say that's true because you you can't find somebody who is a, a right wing woke person. It, it's really a set of ideas that exists in a certain part of the political spectrum. Idealistic is is apolitical. Any person of any culture of any religion uh, can hold idealism to be true. Uh, it does tell you the certain qualities about it, but I don't think those are comparable terms. Woke really, uh, as it's used, gives you really categorizes a certain set of beliefs um, that are quite easy to identify. What I will say is um, woke is defined differently to different people. So some on the right would say everyone on the left is woke. They just use it as a general term. So now we're saying there are right wing woke. Okay. Give me an example of a right wing woke person and what that looks like. Maybe the peace process should be more about economic benefits than about land rights. Israel should give significant economic benefits to Palestinians in exchange for peace. I agree with that as well. The better the lives of the Palestinians, the more hope they have, the less they're, the less they're driven towards uh, radicalization and violence.
Yeah, or I, I think we're very much on the same page. We're, we'll, if you want, message me. We'll get you on a stream where you can make the case that wokeness doesn't mean anything and you can be a right-wing woke person. Um, but I'd just be more interested in somebody giving me a, a better term to use. Um, but to make it seem like there's not this collection of ideas that are quite easily identifiable uh, that exists on the American left, um, I think it's not trying to, it's it's really denying reality for, for what it is. Um, one solution would be to take each idea on its own and talk about it, but we need heuristics to talk about certain things. Heuristics are kind of like mental shortcuts. So sometimes, for example, and this is something that exists on all sides of the political spectrum, but radical, call somebody a radical. You could be many types of radical, but it's still a useful term to uh to, to describe people. Um, no, so, or now I understand which Omar you're talking about. You're talking about Elon Omar. Now, Elon Omar is not right wing in American politics. She's, she's a liberal. Her voting patterns are with Democrats she she can be considered woke. She cannot be considered right wing unless you're talking about uh, a very specific part of her ideology, which is Somalia nationalism, which I, I don't really know her views on that. But that's that it's not accurate to say she's right wing woke. She's left wing woke. Um, yeah. What I will say is there's certain features of wokeness that you could sometimes see right on the right as well. So like cancel culture is not just a woke idea. The right also engages in cancel culture. Um, I think shutting down debate and ideas is not something that's only done uh, for those on the, for those who are woke. I think that's also done on the right. Um, and, oh, another feature of, of wokeness that I, that I struggle with. It's how broadly they define these, these terms of, of hate, like racism is so broadly defined that, in fact, many say all white people are racist. And then they'll go on to say, if you're black or if you're oppressed, you can't be racist. You need to be an oppressor to be racist. You need institutionalized privilege to be racist, right? So there's this changing of definitions or broadly defining definitions. Or for example, let me give you another example. I had a friend on the channel who was trans and then detransitioned. Somebody called me transphobic for hosting a detransitioner. That's such a broad defining of a term and it's also just accusing somebody of the worst rather than trying to understand how they reach a certain conclusion. So this doesn't only exist on the left. It's not as common on the right, but I'll tell you where it does exist. It exists in the, in the, the pro-Israel and the pro-Jewish community. Very few people define a broad, broad as termly as anti-Semitism has been defined. And anti, people are just called anti-Semitic for anything these days. So that very much is similar to what, what has been done on uh, in woke social justice. Um, so yeah, there's definitely fe th these features don't exist only in that movement. Uh, they are, you know, uh, on different sides of the political spectrum. I would agree with that. So, um,
Social services, I don't think woke, as you call it, should be a heuristic to group certain leftists with it. It just legitimizes the beliefs of these leftists and gives leverage to the right. Yeah, but I, most liberals are anti-woke as well. Like the, the average liberal that you meet is not in agreement with with woke ideology. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it's been effective to kind of, I don't want to say isolate, but but define it. And then you go, each of your grievances are massive issues that shouldn't just be labeled into one big group. So I see benefit to identifying them each on their own and calling them out as they come. Um, but when these ideas generally come in a package, is there no benefit to having a name for this package, right? Like that, that's, and again, I'm, I'm not speaking confidently here. I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud. When you see a collection of ideas, are generally believed together, is there no benefit to defining that collection of ideas? So, um, Yeah, woke is anti-liberal. Is that what you're saying? Or I would agree with that. Like, I consider myself to be woke. Uh, ooh, that was not a Freudian slip, I swear. I consider myself to be a liberal, but certainly not woke. Because I view it to be not liberal. I view it to be regressive. What you say about Elon Omar is interesting, you know. Because she's, call her a devout Muslim. So there's a lot of ideas in Islam that are not progressive, but she's also a politician. So she needs to speak a certain language, use certain strategies and tactics and vote a certain way to remain legitimate. So yeah, or it is an interesting point because Elon Omar is not your classic liberal, uh, but her voting patterns certainly are, are liberal. Um, and as a black woman, subscribing to woke ideas is actually very convenient because it allows you to have more legitimacy and shut down conversation from those who are different from you. So you could see why it's appealing to adopt these set, this set of beliefs. Um, so do we see examples of people who... Yeah, there's another politician, Lawrence Spicer or something, a black woman Republican, huge Trump supporter. I've seen her pull out some woke moves as an effective tactic. So there is, you do have a point here that it's it could be a useful tactic um, that can be deployed. Um, but again, this doesn't take away from there's like a unified collection of ideas that you often see in, in certain so circles. So I wonder if there's any use to identify them as such. And I could hear a case that we shouldn't identify it as a collection of ideas, but rather really identify each one and talk about them as they are. So let's, again, I'm thinking aloud. Instead, I would say I struggle with Wilkins. I would say there are many ideas that are popularized in American politics. A lot of these are more popular on the American left. They include shutting down conversation rather than engaging them, framing things as oppressor versus oppressed, um, 
perpetuate, perpetuating this notion of victimhood, uh, abstract ideas of what change looks like, devoid of policy. These are all ideas that generally aren't good to, to make social and moral progress. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting framing. I'll reflect on this a little bit more. Michaela goes, I think the term reductionist is appropriate, could pair with a more specific term than depending on the context rather than. Uh, yeah, reductionist is interesting. Well, one of the challenges is like it, when you, you want to speak in a way that people can understand you, and that's why there's not a good term because there's no like unified idea. My, my challenge with using reductionist is it would require me to explain it every time because no one else is using that or very few people are using that. Maybe social justice orthodoxy, right? It kind of puts social justice as like a, a religion. Maybe that's really the term to use because that, that does describe a certain brand of leftism that subscribes to these ideas. What is the opposite of wokeness? I don't know opposite, but what comes to mind when you say that, like I think like the alt-right or MAGA would be an example. Simply Nice goes, I refer to the extreme left and right as MAGA, left and right. Why would, interesting, why would you call the extreme left MAGA? Because they believe, the extreme left doesn't, they don't want to make America great again. They believe America was never great. Maybe they could call them MAG make America great. And on the right, it'd be make America great again. Interesting. MAGA and MAG. Um, cool. I'm gonna well, social service goes, these ideas are not orthodox of the social justice movement. They are a rejection of social justice. Well, it's their own form of social justice that is kind of promoted in a way that reminds you of like some kind of religious orthodoxy. Let's see how orthodoxy is defined. Authorized or generally accepted theory, doctrine, or practice, monotheist, doctrine, the whole community of orthodox Jews. Um, that's not really giving me much. This is really just describing it in religious terms. Let, let's okay. We're gonna do a quick chat GPT and then we're gonna wrap it up. Okay. What does it mean to actually not? Let's do. What is the difference between being a liberal, a leftist, a progressive? Hold on, let me share my screen. A progressive and woke. Um, but I want them to know that we're talking about in American politics. In the context of U.S. politics. In the context of U.S. politics, the term liberal leftist progression and woke are often used to describe different positions or groups within the broader political left. However, they have distinct meanings and connotations. Liberal, traditionally liberals in the U.S. 
have advocated for government that plays a significant role in addressing social and economic issues such as poverty and discrimination while also supporting individual rights and freedoms. This includes support for social welfare programs, environmental regulations, and civil rights. Liberals tend to support a mixed economy that includes both private enterprise and government intervention. I, I think this probably describes me pretty well. Leftist. This term generally refers to individuals or groups that are further to the left on the political spectrum than mainstream liberals. Leftists often advocate for more radical changes to the social and economic systems, including greater economic equality, social justice, and sometimes socialist or anti-capitalist policies. They may emphasize systemic change over incremental reforms. Cool distinction. Progressive. Progressives are similar to liberals, but are often seen as advocating for more significant reforms to address social, economic, and environmental issues. They tend to focus on reducing income inequality, combating climate change, and pursuing, pursuing social justice. Progressives are often seen as being more willing to challenge the status quo and push for more substantial challenges than traditional liberals. They're not really the leftist and progressive seems a little bit too similar in my opinion. Woke originally African-American vernacular for being awake to social injustice, especially racism. The term woke has been adopted more broadly in political discourse. It's often used to describe the heightened awareness of social and political issues, especially regarding race, gender, and other forms of identity was associated with progressive policies also been used pejoratively by critics who see it as overly focused on identity, politics, or political correctness. Okay. I mean, that's pretty good. Um, let, let's challenge it a little bit. Two and three seem a bit too similar. Can you more clearly differentiate between them? Right. This is me asking for a difference between pro, uh, leftist and progressive, which I'm, they're not. They seem too similar. Cool. Certainly. While leftists and progressives are terms that fall on the left of the political spectrum and sh share some common goals, there are notable distinctions between them. Leftist, the term leftist typically refers to those who advocate for fundamental changes to the social and economic systems. Okay, this is like what we said earlier, more focused on, well, they're saying social as well, but they define economic. This can include support for socialism, communism, and other forms of radical redistribution of wealth and power. Leftists often focus on systemic change, critiquing the foundations of capitalism advocating for a more egalitarian society. This might involve a complete restructuring of economic systems, significant redistribution of wealth, a more collective ownership of resources. Leftists are often skeptical of incremental reforms, seeing them as insufficient to address systemic change. Cool. Progressives are, on the other hand, are, more general, are generally more reformist than revolutionary. Interesting. While they seek significant change within existing social and economic frameworks, they usually do not advocate for an outright replacement of the capitalist system. Progressives focus on making the current system more equitable and just. They champion causes like reducing income inequality, environmental sustainability, and social justice. They typically work within existing political and economic systems to achieve these goals. Progressives are often associated with pushing the reforms like universal health care, higher minimum wage and stricter environmental regulation. So I think it's a lot of it comes down to reformist rather than uh, revolutionary. Or you're not liking the explanation. We could dedicate an entire episode to this. You guys see that ChatGPT that is integrated with Dolly and you create photos. Check this out. Somebody give me a photo. 
Um, yeah, I'm seeing people saying that these aren't the most uh, the best definitions. ChatGPT really isn't great at at everything, but it sometimes can make you help. It helps you make sense out of complex issues. Um, but we could uh, we we could do a, a deeper dive into this on on another episode. Check this out. Who wants to see some AI generated art? Watch this. A purple fox eating a falafel. Yeah, Griffo, the problem is that, wait, Google Scholar, is that like a program? Ooh, what is this? Hold on, do we get our, oh, uh, look, look, look at this fox eating a falafel. Like, is that not amazing to just create that within minutes? The, like, graphic designers and a lot of digital artists are are out of out of work. Like, this is this is game changing. Like, for Grateful Drafts, we only do AI generated art these days. An Israeli and Palestinian hugging each other. All right, I'm on Google Scholar as well. So thanks for this resource, Gerfoot. Difference between leftist and progressive. Okay, this is interesting. I'm going to need to look through this. I'll tell you the benefit of ChatGPT. It's just so easy and quick, but sometimes, you know, there, there's a trade-off, right? Uh you get you get the quickness and the ease, but you sometimes lose accuracy, and it's not. And it sometimes will lie to you. Look at this photo. Look how they did the Israeli full full flag head. Okay, I don't love it. Another one. Yeah, or I'm currently in Venice, California. I agree. That does look like Crash Bandicoot. Let's see what we got here. Ooh, uh, a little too too Israeli heavy. Although, just just so you all know, let me show you this. The most popular post I ever made on Instagram was an AI generated art. It's so easy these days. Like, I don't really have much time to focus on content. These live streams are easy, but like. Creating other content takes time. Look, I literally like these little boys here, and I could free Palestine and Israel from hate. Seven seventeen hundred eighty nine likes. Like that's crazy. Took me took me five minutes. Um. Uh, Israeli and Palestinian hanging out. Super psychedelic. You know, I, I can't figure out how to spell psychedelic ever. Super psychedelic with mushrooms everywhere. Well, or if you if you want to come out to LA, would would love to would love to see you. 
Okay, we'll do after this. We'll do one more piece of art, and then we'll sign off. Oh, guys, by the way, next uh, Wednesday, I'm having Joseph Cohen from the Israel Advocacy Network on the show. Whoa, hold on. Look at that. That's peace right there. You want to see peace? That's what it looks like. I, I guess we need an, an Israeli flag, uh, Palestinian flag, for it to be truly good. But so let's get another one. Another. Another one. Um, yeah, so Joseph Cohen is going to be on the show. We are going to be uh, having a debate on is Israel using excessive force in Gaza? I think they are. Uh, well, at the very least, I think there's a very strong case to be made that they are, and he thinks they certainly are not. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be the discussion. It's going to be Wednesday, 10 a.m. PST. Tune in. It should be a good one. If anybody's interested, I did have a debate on modern day debates last week. Uh, it's a big channel, 170,000 subscribers. It was it was good. I mean, they keep it's a second debate they brought me on. It's just the people they're bringing on to these debates don't really know anything about the conflict. So I asked them if I, they could bring me on for a one-on-one. They said, sure, if you have an opponent that is informed enough, then we'd be happy to do it. So I'm kind of thinking of two, two avenues for this and open to suggestions. One is actually to see if Joseph Cohen wants to go in there and debate me. And and that's in that regard, I'll take the pro-Palestine side. Uh, or I get Zach Foster on and I'll take the pro-Israel side. The past two debates, I, I was on the pro-Israel side, so I kind of want to debate the pro-Palestine side. Um, so maybe I'll see if Joseph wants to do it. So we might do a debate, just him and I, on, on a different channel. Um, you know what? This actually photo would make Rudy very happy because they gave the Jew a sudra. Look at that. Look at that little Jewish sudra here. Interesting that they're not doing the, they're not doing a Palestinian flag. Let's do one more, another one. So Dan's asking, how do I find out if you're doing a meet event with Israelis and Palestinians in the U.S.? Yeah, I'm working on it. I'm just so busy, but we we should have one in L.A. coming up soon. Um, by the way, let me put this out there because I'm getting desperate. I have a cat, my cat, Peach, who I love so much. She's in Israel right now, and she's been staying at my friend's apartment, my friend Julian, who's actually on the couch. But Julian's now here with us for the foreseeable future and leaving the apartment. So I don't know what to do with Peach. She's elderly, still youthful, but I think she's like 18 now. And she kind of scratches certain types of furniture. How the hell do I find a home from, for an 18-year-old cat that scratches furniture? I really don't know what to do. I thought about flying her out to Venice, but our, our third partner, Max, is allergic to cats, so he doesn't want her. Um, yeah, if anybody wants a cat, let me know. I'll even pay you to take the cat. Um, I won't pay you that much, though. Uh, where will I notify of such an event, an event being peace, a peace event? I'll put it on my Instagram. That's where I post all the updates. Um, Khan is asking, is LA my favorite city? Actually, interesting. You know, Tel Aviv was my favorite city for a very long time. I've been in Venice, which is part of LA for the past 16 months. And uh, it, I would say this has become my favorite city. Certainly not all parts of LA. I don't, I don't leave the West Side much, but there's something about west side of LA, Venice, Santa Monica. And honestly, even like I have, I'm starting to have more friends on the, the east side. There's something special about the people out here. 
Um, you have, and this is why we, we, we started Grateful Drafts in Israel, but why do we move out here? Because there's a lot of people who you could describe as very high caliber, people doing amazing things with their lives. It's like the cultural capital of health and wellness and media. Um, but it's not people who are just in it for the money. So you have a lot of people who are, as we described, spiritually at grounded, right? They believe they want to do good for the world. They want to do good for the, themselves. Um, they're kind and compassionate. They're dedicated to elevating themselves and those around them. Um, but also they're highly successful. And I think this area of the world, specifically the West side has the highest concentration of just that person. So it's really been, uh, it's really been a pleasure to, to be here the past nearly year and a half. And the amount of amazing people I've met is just hard to comprehend. And as they say, your network is your net worth. So I'm, uh, I'm getting rich, not, not by the money I have in my bank, but just by the people I'm meeting. Um, or saying that I'm lying and that I'm jealous of New York. Look, I was born in New York. Okay. So you, one can even say I should have a bias to prefer New York over LA. Now, LA is better for a few re- reasons. I think the people here are generally nicer. Um, I think they're more into health and wellness and just impact in general. And the weather's not even comparable. Like I'm, I could smell the beach from here. You know, I take a walk on the beach every morning. Yeah, go hang out at the beach in New York, snowy and cold. But uh, yeah, you know, teach their own. The world, the world's a big place. Everyone has their own favorite. But yeah, I was born in New York and would definitely prefer LA. I would prefer Tel Aviv to New York as well. Um, I would say Tel Aviv is probably my second favorite city at this point. And my whole family's in Israel, so it's not like I see this as like an ideal situation for me that I'd be in between um, LA and, and Israel that I want to be able to travel every few months. Oh, look at this photo. Interesting that they don't do the Palestinian flag. Let let here, hold on. Let's another but with a Palestinian flag. If it comes out cool enough, we're gonna we're gonna post this. People might be offended by this, but I don't care. You guys see that challenge where people are posting how they looked when they were 21? Um, I have a photo from when I was in the IDF, but I'm holding like a bottle of whiskey and a Hustler magazine. I was 21. I'm thinking of posting that. But I also know it's going to offend a lot of people. It's going to offend both pro-Israel people because I'm kind of making a mockery of how I'm presenting myself as an IDF soldier. Uh, and then obviously anti-Israel people seeing me in uniform might get triggered. Chat, what do you think? Should I post that? <laughs> Hold on. Okay, now they give a Palestinian flag, but where's where's our Jew? There's no Jew. Hi, we're going on two hours. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta sign off. I gotta sign off. Oh, Allah, good to see you here. 
Um, or I don't think Israelis would care. I think American Jews would would be offended by it. A lot of them. Uh, now you give me a guy in a uniform. All right, talk about offensive. Look at this one. I mean, I think it's cute. People would be super offended by that. All right, we're gonna give it one more shot. Another one. I'm I'm posting this, and I I am gonna post the, I'm gonna post the 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 military shot. Might as well. Or goes even AI is supporting two state solution. Yeah, it seems to be the case. Anyways, I'm gonna sign off, uh, guys. This was fun. See you Wednesday, 10 a.m. for my discussion with Joseph Cohen. Should be good. Thanks for all the support of the show. Thanks for tuning in. This was nice. Oh no, last photo. Okay, cute. Okay, this might be the one. This is going live. Whoever doesn't have me on Instagram, feel free to add me. That's my that's my handle on Twitter as well. You're welcome. To follow me. Uh, love you all. Have a beautiful weekend. Talk soon.